We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Wire. Hey, this is George Kittle, and you're listening to Candlestick Chronicles. New England sending QB Jimmy Garoppolo to 49ers. We believe we found the right guy. Garoppolo, quick pass, caught by Kittle. He dives, and he's in. Touchdown, 49ers. Kittle is going to go. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to Candlestick Chronicles, the 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire Network. My name is Chris Biederman. I cover the 49ers for the Sacramento Bee. With me, as always, it's Kyle Madsen of Niners Wire of 95.7 The Game. Kyle, what's going on, buddy? Oh, not a lot, man. Uh, I have some sad news, actually, to report today. Do you? Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I had to wear a jacket this morning on my way to work. Really? Yeah. And it wound up being super hot and I stayed a little longer at work to try and make sure I was, you know, beating the heat. And so it was nice and cool on my on my walk back to 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 Bart after work, but on my way to work on Bart into the city and my walk to the office, I had to wear a jacket, which means the time of year is coming where beating the heat will no longer be necessary. And then I have to come up with a new bit for the podcast. <laughs> um, well maybe it's just Nick Bosa impressions. That's going for a fine point. <laughs> uh, real quick, I want to I want to address one quick thing. Okay, uh, I was watching Patriots Giants. We're recording this Thursday night. I was watching Patriots Giants earlier, and they got to talking about the 49ers uh, late in that game. And Joe Buck mentioned that the 49ers are waiting to get Joe Staley back when he's eligible to return off short term IR. Ooh. Just in case you heard that and think that Joe big IR, mistake, he's not. <laughs> Uh, Joe Staley can come back whenever he's healthy. They don't need to wait the mandatory eight weeks to bring him back. So just just 
to clear that up in case anybody heard that and thought that Joe Staley couldn't return ASAP. Yeah, that's a really good point. But I'm sure there are a lot of people listening to this pod like, when are they going to talk about whether or not Joe Staley's on IR? Yeah, uh, so let's see. The 49... So Staley's going to do going to be due back either late October, early November, mid-November at the latest. Mike McGlinchey's mid-November. Kyle Juszczyk's mid-November. Trent Taylor, I believe, is week 11, which is... I don't have the schedule in front of me. I think that's mid-November. And Jalen Hurd is a week later, so maybe late November. I have to go back and look. Maybe that's worth writing about, just going back through all the 49ers injuries and, and when these dudes are due back. If there's good news, and Akel Witherspoon, too, is also late October, early November. So if there's good news, all of these injuries that the 49ers are dealing with, none of them have been season-ending to this point, maybe with the exception of Jason Verrett. Um, so the episode that we recorded earlier this week in reaction to the 49ers' victory over the Browns to go undefeated, is uh, it didn't really age all that well because part of the discussion that we had going into this all-important Rams game uh, was about how good the 49ers' offensive line has played, even in lieu of Joe Staley's injury. Since we recorded that, Kyle Shanahan walked to the podium on Wednesday and surprised everybody by saying that Mike McGlinchey, the right tackle, is going to miss four to six weeks after having arthroscopic surgery on Thursday to repair his MCL in his right knee. Uh, so the 49ers offensive line that I said was probably the best in the division is now playing a six round pick, a rookie Daniel, uh, sorry, Justin school at left tackle. And now Daniel Brunskill is going to be making his first career start at right tackle against the NFC champion, uh, Rams on Sunday in LA. And so now all of a sudden, we really have no idea what to make of this 49ers offense because we already knew Kyle Juszczyk, the fullback, was going to be out, who's obviously a very important player in their running game. But now they're going to be without both of their starting tackles. And so it seems like Kyle Shanahan's life got a whole lot more difficult this week because you can do certain things to help out one side of the offensive line. You can... You know, you could obviously run a whole lot of short passes, which the 49ers have been doing. You could just stick with the running game, which I'm sure the 49ers will try to do on Sunday. Uh, You could ship with running backs to one side of the line and you can do the same thing with with tight ends. But when you have both of your tackles being really inexperienced players who might not be all that physically gifted, you're really put in a bind, particularly going on the road and and playing a defense that maybe hasn't played as well as it would hope to this point. But the Rams coming off two straight losses and having 10 days to stew on those losses and prepare for the 49ers while watching the 49ers go undefeated and lead the lead the division. Uh, I, I mean, I don't know what to make of it except that you you have to be really concerned about what the 49ers can do offensively because you do know they can run the ball, but they're going to be without Kyle Juszczyk. And you can say that they've been efficient in the passing game, but now you're basically taking away any passing play that might be longer than three steps. Like you're going to take away most of your five and seven step drops because you're not going to put your tackles on an island. So I've really spent today sort of racking my brain about uh, on – about what the 49ers offense is going to look like. And I honestly have no idea. And maybe that ends up being an advantage for the 49ers on Sunday. But Kyle, what, what are your thoughts about the Mike McGlinchey injury and what it means? 
Yeah, I think I I I think when you compound the McGlinchey injury and the Joe Staley injury and the Kyle Juszczyk injury, what we're going to see on Sunday is really the depth of what Kyle Shanahan can do schematically because we're going to see an offense like the the 49ers rely on two running back sets more than any other team in the league by by a really wide margin and not having use check and then not having the two starting tackles takes away some of what they're able to do without use check in so i don't know exactly i'm i'm with you i i i've been I've been trying to think, you know, do they do they run like three tight ends? Do they do they use Ross Dwelly or George Kittle or some combination of them in the Kyle Juszczyk role and see if they can just do that? Um, I, I, I have no idea what it's going to look like, but I do know if they find a way to move the football against L.A., whose defense hasn't been great. It's not bad. It's, it's a pretty average defense so far. If they find a way to move the ball on Sunday – like crown Kyle Shanahan because it would be it would be one of the most incredible uh, offensive coaching performances ever. Yeah, so Daniel Brunskill, he's a San Diego State alum. He played for the San Diego Fleet of the AAF in the offseason and then the 49ers worked him out in April and then they signed him and it was a signing that mostly went under the radar because uh, most of us viewed Brunskill as sort of, you know, an offensive depth piece maybe somebody who competes for a job on the practice squad. He spent last season on the Falcons practice squad. Somebody the 49ers brought in, maybe they th- thought they could, you know, someone they could develop at multiple positions and and maybe be a backup down the road. Uh, now he's their starting tackle. He's essentially their fifth option at tackle because you lose Sean Coleman in the preseason. Obviously, Justin School is playing on the left side with Joe Staley out. So, Daniel Brunskill is your fifth tackle. So Daniel Brunskill went to San Diego State. He had played tight end in high school, uh, played tight end. He was a blocking tight end at San Diego State, I believe, for his first three years there. Then he switched to tackle. Uh, mm-hmm. And then he was he walked on. So he didn't get a scholarship until his redshirt junior season. So his fourth year on campus, he was finally right. awarded a scholarship. Uh, then he went to the Falcons. He plays in the AAF. Now he signed with the 49ers. Um, he he got a couple snaps, which were encouraging in the fourth quarter of the Steelers game. He came in when Mike McGlinchey was having issues with his uh, cleats or his the tape around his cleats. And the 49ers decided to run a counter running play to Raheem Mostert behind Brunskill to his side of the to his side of the formation. Uh, and I think they got 19 yards and, and then six yards on back-to-back carries. It was the same exact play. Uh, and Brunskill was, had really good blocks on, on those plays and was really fired up. Like he went back and watched and he's like screaming and, and he talked a little bit about it today and he went back to the sideline and was all full of energy. So I do think what we can say about Daniel Brunskill is he's probably a decent run blocker. And the fact that he used to be a tight end would indicate he's a pretty good athlete. Um, but what's interesting to me is that without Kyle Juszczyk, and, and this might be independent of the offensive line discussion, we honestly have no idea what to make of Daniel Brunskill. And, and I think the right. only thing we can confidently say is the 49ers are not going to do a whole lot of drop back passing, like they, which is similar to, to how they approach the game against Cleveland. Um, but Juszczyk is really the, 
the interesting player to talk about here with with his absence because in 21 personnel and we, we we've mentioned this a lot but i did some digging on warren sharp's website which is a great website if you're into football nerd stuff really fun um 21 personnel the 49ers are so that's two two running backs and one being a fullback obviously in a tight end 49ers are averaging 12.6 yards per pass attempt that's really good right that's uh, incredible in 22 personnel, so a running back, a fullback, and two tight ends, 11.6 yards per pass attempt. Really good, right? So what's interesting about that, obviously, is they're passing the ball at an extremely efficient rate using heavy personnel. They're not loading the field with receivers and spreading the ball around. They're they're playing a smash-mouth style of football, heavily predicated on play action, which is a result of the success of the running game. In 11 personnel, which is one running back, one tight end, and three receivers, which the 49ers are probably going to have to rely on far more heavily than they have to date. Um, The Niners have used 11 personnel on 39% of their snaps. So they're still utilizing a lot more than any other um, personnel grouping, but they use 21 personnel, 36% of their snaps, uh, which is their second most used personnel group. So in 11, they're averaging 8.1 yards per attempt. So they're actually a more efficient passing team in heavier personnel sets. So maybe that's because opposing defenses are anticipating the run, play action, all of those things. Now without Kyle Juszczyk, I'm very curious to see how that works, how those p- per- personnel groupings are, are put together throughout the throughout the entirety of the game and how when the 49ers do pass or run, like, are, are they going to be able to do it with Daniel Brunskill and Justin School as well? You know, I, I'm not expecting it to to be nearly as good as it was with Joe Staley and Mike McGlinchey, but it's just th- this whole thing is to say Kyle Juszczyk's a really important player. Obviously, those tackles are really important players, and we simply have no idea what it's going to look like. And I think we would have been really worried like we were about Justin School going into that Browns game, but Justin School played well, so maybe you wonder – is Daniel Brunskill going to be put in a similar position to Justin School in that the scheme is going to make it easy on them and maybe he looks better than we all think and the 49ers aren't as bad off as as we expected. I honestly have no idea and it's going to be it's going to make for a fascinating day on Sunday. Yeah, they've been able to kind of withstand these injuries to this point. Justin School's play filling in for Joe Staley has has I think gone much better than I was expecting certainly. Uh, he's done a nice job on that left side. Um, Emmanuel Mosley stepped in nicely for Akello Witherspoon. He had a really good game. I think gave up one one catch on on three targets against Cleveland. Um, but all of a sudden, you lose a fullback in Kyle Juszczyk, where there is no backup fullback, and then you lose Mike McGlinchey when you're already on your backup tackle. Like they're reaching the outer limits of their depth at the two most shallow positions on the roster. So, uh, like like I said earlier, if they're if they're able to overcome this, uh, I think it'll be a direct reflection of just how good this coaching staff is at, at scheming players in a position to succeed. Yeah, and I talked to Ross Dwelly this week too about it, and the way he talked about it made me think that maybe the 49ers might not go completely away from what they do from a personnel grouping perspective and instead 
of having Juszczyk in there, Dwelly's just going to play that position some. Which is interesting because Dwelly made the team essentially because he's a receiving threat as a tight end. And, and he's somebody who really's had to, to do a lot of work on his body to get stronger, to become a better blocker. And he's, he's really been close with George Kittle in terms of um, spending time together in the offseason, working out. Kittle's been a, a really good resource for him because Kittle is known for, you know, he's, he's only had two NFL offseasons to date. But he's been known for his work in the offseason to get ready and, and change his body and do what he needs to do to be productive at this level. And that's one of the things the 49ers really like about Dwelly is the fact that he does all of this work even when he's away from the facility. They wanted him to get stronger. He did get stronger. He's a better blocker than he was, and he's a more complete player than he was after joining the team as an undrafted free agent last year. So Maybe Dwelly ends up being a better blocker. I, I personally have not watched Ross Dwelly block all that much so far. Uh, the 49ers typically have used Levine Toy Lolo as their blocking tight end, and, and they've done a, a, a few other things with Dwelly to, to sort of get creative, but um, I have no idea what Dwelly's going to look like as a fullback. And, and the 49ers brought in a bunch of fullbacks this week, and, and it doesn't sound like they're going to sign any of them, at least – before Sunday's game and maybe they maybe Sunday's game will predicate what what their mindset is in terms of the fullback position going forward because it's going to be at least four or five more games until use check is back um so it'll be really fascinating I you know you you look at what the 49ers do with 12 personnel um they're averaging 3.6 yards per carry with two tight ends on the field and one running back so, you know, you would think that that's, that's going to be a lot of what they do on Sunday. Um, but you look at the numbers and, and they just haven't been all that effective there. So, you know, it's, it's really interesting because I just have no idea how this is all going to shake out. And, uh, and it's, it's, it sort of throws you for a loop when you're expecting to write one thing and you already have a bunch of things pre-written and then Kyle Shanahan comes in and drops a bombshell on you that that makes you throw away a bunch of your copy you've written and now you have to focus on an injury and all of that. <laughs> and so uh, it's been an interesting week from a coverage standpoint, uh, writing about the team, but because we, it, we just don't know what this is going to look like. Like I, I don't remember the 49, the 49ers have been injured, but they haven't <laughs> been good and injured. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. They've been yeah. bad and they've dealt with injuries and you're like, all right, well, it's going to be another guy. They're probably not going to do anything. But now, like, the stakes are really high. This is their first division game, and they're undefeated, one of two undefeated teams in the league, and they're going against a team that they need to beat in order to win this division. So, And it's just it, – it's, it's, it's not even – it's not like they've lost their top three receivers. This is they're, – they're losing, like, fundamental pieces of, of what makes their offense tick. And that's why this is so difficult to try and to try and suss out because this isn't just oh they need players A B and C to to play better like obviously they need school to play well obviously they need Brunskill to play well but there's just no replacing what and Mike McGlinchey has been playing excellent this year so to expect Brunskill to come in and play at a Pro Bowl level is probably unrealistic. But then there's just no replacing a player like Kyle Juszczyk. Even if they did have another fullback on the roster, there's no there's no replacing what Kyle Juszczyk does. There's a reason they pay him the exorbitant 
fullback salary that they pay him. And so this isn't a matter of they need these players to step up. This is they need to fundamentally change what they've been doing on offense. And maybe that works to their advantage. Maybe it's one of those things that they do something that's not on tape because this is such a unique situation for them. Juszczyk has been healthy since he came over with Shanahan in 2017. So maybe we see an iteration of the 49ers offense that the Rams just aren't ready to defend and it works swimmingly and the 49ers move to 5-0. and But it's also just as easy to see the 49ers offense sputtering and they score six points because they weren't able to completely overhaul their offense on a short week. Yeah, so I think we should talk for a second before we take a break about the Niners receivers because they need they they need their receivers to step up. It it might be a game where the 49ers can't run the ball 40 times like they have or like they did on Monday and and the 49ers are are throwing at I think the lowest rate in the league in terms of play percentage. And maybe a part of that is because the receiving core hasn't been all that productive, or maybe it's a chicken and the egg thing. Like maybe the receivers haven't, haven't been productive and the 49ers feel more comfortable running the ball, or maybe because the 49ers are running the ball, the receivers haven't been all that productive, but Dante Pettis on the year, six catches. Uh, he's averaging nine and a half yards per game. Um, Marquise Goodwin is, is averaging, you know, he has nine catches for 166 yards on the season. That's decent. He's up to four, 41 and a half yards per game. Debo Samuel, 37 and a half yards per game. They need somebody other than George Kittle to have a big receiving game if the 49ers are going to win. Um, unless the defense, I mean, unless the 49ers defense just totally dominates, which remains a possibility with all the injuries the 49ers have had on offense, sure. uh, with the exception of Akella Witherspoon, they're they're in pretty good shape defensively. Um, but just in terms of you know what the 49ers are going to do, I think they're going to have to rely a lot more on the passing game. And when you look at Aqib Talib and Marcus Peters, I know those guys haven't played as well as the Rams might have been expecting coming into the year, but I still give the Rams a big advantage on the outside. And the 49ers, if they're going to win this game and make up for maybe their deficiencies in the ground game, they're going to need more from their receivers. And maybe this is a game that Debo Samuel really breaks out. Or... Maybe this is a game that Marquise Goodwin looks like he did with Jimmy Garoppolo in 2017 when he was averaging almost 100 yards a game and looked like a really, really good receiver. Um, you know, we I I don't know. It's tough to say because we just haven't seen it. And Dante Pettis for, you know, he, he's only been targeted nine times. So I don't know how much of that is a function of the game plan. And like I said, the the running game, the 49ers being such a – such a prolific running team so far, but they're going to need these guys to to make a lot of plays if they're going to beat the Rams, I, I think. Yeah, that's that's really what it comes down to. Like we talk about the fullback, we talk about the tackles, but if the tackles play great and they they make up for, for a lack of a fullback, none of that's going to matter if Dante Pettis can't get open or if Debo Samuel's dropping passes or if you know, Marquise Goodwin uh, gets gets some kind of double coverage over the top and he's not able to take the top off the Rams defense. Like none of it matters if a pass catcher aside from George Kittle doesn't step up. But then we saw last year in, in the Coliseum down in, down in LA when George Kittle broke the tight end receiving yards record 
against the Rams, everybody knew the ball was going to him and he still ripped off a 43-yard touchdown. So maybe maybe that's just what we see. Maybe we're overthinking it and the 49ers are going to keep trying to run the ball and and feeding George Kittle 20 times and and hoping for the best. Yeah, I think he had 19 targets in that game. We, and um, but, that, but the Rams were move on Sunday. Yeah, the, but the Rams in in that game last year weren't necessary weren't exactly playing with an edge. Um they had already wrapped up their playoff seeding. Uh it wasn't a very important game for them and they blew out the Niners anyway. Um can we talk about Jimmy Garoppolo for a sec? I don't know if I have like a a, a big Jimmy Garoppolo point. I think I think we talked about him at a, a pretty good deal earlier this week. Yeah. Um he's been efficient his only Achilles heel has been turnovers. And we talked about how the 49ers haven't really had to rely on him to win them a game yet. This might be the week that it happens. I'm just very curious to see if he can do it while under significant pressure, because I think he's going to get pressured a lot. Um, I think the Rams will probably be able to pressure without blitzing, which is going to make things a lot harder for Garoppolo. Because Kyle Shanahan's offense is, I think, is well designed to exploit blitzing defenses and allow Garoppolo to to find easy targets and and have his reads sort of dictated based on where that pressure is coming from. If the Rams aren't pressuring and they're just uh, getting pressure with four, then it's going to take a really impressive performance from Garoppolo for the 49ers to go down there and win. Um, and it's just hard to see that happening just because of the way that the offense has turned the ball over. And, and you look at it too, you know, we've mentioned that the 49ers have had sort of this roller coaster season in terms of how sharp they've been offensively. The defense has been good and that's been a constant. But the offense wasn't good week one. It was good week two. It wasn't good week three. Um, and it was it was good after the Cleveland game. So if we're continuing that pattern of the offense being sharp every other week, then this is the week we're in for a down week, right? So, um, and I, it looks like, I mean, I, I think Garoppolo is probably going to have to win this game for the 49ers unless the defense just goes out there and plays really, really well, which is possible because the Rams have some deficiencies on offense, which we can talk about after the break, unless you have something you want to say about Jimmy Garoppolo real quick before we go. He has to be at his, he has to be at his best, regardless of... of- what the 49ers do offensively. If Jimmy Garoppolo is going to give the ball away a couple times, I don't think the Niners have a chance. So it starts with not turning the ball over, and then I, I, I think you go from there. All right, well, Kyle, as you know, following a team you love in 2019 can be time-consuming. Trying to follow everything happening in sports is almost impossible. Scrolling through every app and visiting every website on a daily basis is impossible. That's why I subscribe to Axios Sports the best free daily newsletter in the land. Axios Sports is a modern sports page delivered directly to your inbox. When you sign up for free at sports.axios.com, you'll get the best stories from the NBA and NFL to cricket and ping pong and everything in between. Axios Sports highlights the most important stats and trends, giving you the ability to stay informed. It's super simple to sign up and it's free. Sports.axios.com. Not only will you be caught up, you'll be the friend sharing an amazing link with your buddies. Join the 100,000 sports fans who get caught up on the day before it even begins. And best of all, there's no paywall, no subscription fee, nothing. This is free, curated sports content delivered directly to you. Sign up at sports.axios.com. Again, try for free 99 at sports.axios.com. 
Kyle, as as a person with your hairstyle, you uh, is it safe to say you enjoy a, a nice, comfortable, clean shave? Boy, do I. Well, that's good, uh, because humans have been shaving for thousands of years, and the secret to a great shave? Well, it hasn't changed much. The ancient Greeks didn't need flex balls or heated handles, and neither do you, and neither do you, Kyle. No. That's why Harry's doesn't overcharge you to add gimmicky features to their razors. They focus on delivering what actually matters, sharp, durable blades at a fair price. I personally use Harry's to, to shave my neck, to, to keep the neck nice and... Uh, Nice and smooth while while I keep a cruising around with a neck beard. What is this? Neck's got to be clean, and and I have a little bit of uh, stubble on my face because it just feels weird to be completely clean shaven, to be honest. But having a good razor is important, and I love Harry's because it gives me a close shave, easy glide at a low price. Do us a favor and check out harrys.com slash bluewire for your free trial today. Why use Harry's? Harry's is a return to the essential quality, durable blades at a fair price, just $2 per blade. Harry's is just super convenient. Blade refills are delivered directly to your door on your schedule with or without a subscription, and there's no risk to you for trying them out. If you don't love your shave, let them know and they'll give you a full refund. Listeners to our show can redeem their Harry's trial at harrys.com slash bluewire. You'll get a weighted ergonomic handle for a firm grip, five-blade razor with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel with aloe to keep your skin hydrated, and travel and a travel blade cover to keep your razor dry and easy to grab on the go. Go to harrys.com slash bluewire to start shaving better today. All right, so we mentioned the defense. Um... This is a little bit more straightforward than the discussion about the offense because we really have no idea what to expect from the 49ers offense. And frankly, it's probably not going to be pretty. Uh, But the 49ers could still win a game with a sloppy performance offensively because they've done that twice to this point. Um, They haven't played an offense as good as the Rams yet. uh, But the Rams offensive line isn't that good. And the 49ers defensive line is really good. So... It could be that the game is as simple as that, that the 49ers have to win a, a 17 to 10 game where the defensive line dominates. They get turnovers and takeaways. Uh, they they pressure Jared Goff and make him have to work to, to move the ball downfield because, as we know, Jared Goff is a much worse quarterback when he's consistently pressured, and, and the 49ers have one of the best offensive – or sorry <laughs> – the 49ers have one of the best defensive lines in the league to date. So, Kyle, is, is it as simple as that for you in terms of what the 49ers need to do defensively to, to maybe carry the water on Sunday? Yeah, they're going to need to do something to generate some turnovers. Jared Goff has not been very good really since they played the Lions last year. I think it was week 12. But they need to do something to generate turnovers, give the offense a short field, and limit the amount of possessions that that the Rams have. Um, if they rush the quarterback like they did on Monday night, they're going to be really tough to beat, regardless. Um, and I and I think that's what it's going to really come down to. I, I you know we spent all that time talking about the offense, uh, but I don't think any of that's going to really matter if if Nick Bosa, D Ford, DeForest Buckner, and those guys aren't aren't playing at a high level. Totally agree. You look at the Rams' last three games, and they've lost their last two, but they've lost a turnover battle in their last three. Um, and the 49ers obviously have, have turned the ball over a lot. 
to this point, although they didn't on Monday night. But that's going to be the recipe, right? It's going to be pressuring Jared Goff, giving the offense a short field so they don't have to go on those long drives where they do maybe need to rely on the running game. If I mean, if the 49ers get a defensive touchdown or a special teams touchdown, that would be massive for their chances at coming away with this upset. And you know what I think is really interesting, too? That the Rams are right now are a three-point favorite which indicates that if they played on a neutral site, the odds makers say this is a pick which to me says the odds makers are really high in the 49ers defense and maybe not so concerned with what the 49ers are going to look like offensively despite their injuries. So, Did you know this game opened in the preseason at Rams minus eight and a half? Yeah, well, that's what happens when the Rams lose two in a row and the 49ers go four and oh. To start five points. That's just that's just wild. How much that swung. If you might have seen that on NinersWire.com, I wrote about it. Anyways, keep going. <laughs> <laughs> um, the Rams might be without Todd Gurley. He hasn't practiced this week. Uh, we're recording this Thursday night, so the Rams actually didn't have a practice on Thursday, which is very odd. Typically, teams practice Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. They have walk through Saturday, and, and then the game Sunday. The Rams had a walkthrough today on Thursday because of high winds in uh, the Thousand Oaks area where they practice. So apparently, according to ESPN's Lindsey Thurley, there were 55 mile an hour winds and the Rams did not practice. So I, I'm curious if if that's going to factor into the game at all. I, but I think more important than that, obviously, is, is Todd Gurley's status. And you read the between the lines of Todd Gurley's quote saying, you know, he's going to make the best decision possible for Sunday. Typically saying something like that would, would mean that he might not play. So if Gurley does not play, that's obviously going to be big for the 49ers because Gurley is, is really a a focal point of what they do. And he's been far and away their, their most productive running back. Uh, He's run the ball 64 times is averaging, uh, 4.2 yards per attempt. Malcolm Brown has run 26 times. He's averaging 4.4 yards per attempt and has two touchdowns. Gurley has five touchdowns through the first five games. Um, and I believe, yeah, that leads, the, that leads the Rams just in terms of total touchdowns. So, you know, if, if they're without their main touchdown scorer, uh, that, that could be problematic for them. I don't know. I mean, I, I think the Niners defense actually matches up with the Rams really well right now just because of how the 49ers could potentially dominate the Rams offensive line. But I, on the other hand, I do think Sean McVay, given a little bit of extra time to prepare, having a team that is going to be playing with a serious edge on Sunday because it has lost its last two games. Um, I would imagine that the Rams are going to play really well offensively. And like we said earlier in the week, if the Rams come out and have a really well-scripted first drive and score a touchdown and, you know, if the game, say this game starts poorly for the 49ers, which seems like it's totally possible, right? Like the Rams could march down the field, score a touchdown, get a turnover at some point in the first quarter and then be up 14, nothing. Yeah. Like, are the 49ers built to come back? Because we've seen them run the ball so effectively and control tempo and play to their defense. But if they're down by multiple scores, can they come back and win a game? Particularly, can they do that and win a game on the road? 
And we don't know that they can do that yet. And that's when I think we'll really know whether or not the 49ers are a true like Super Bowl contender if they can do that yeah. against a good team away from Levi's Stadium. And it's asking a lot hey, without your two times. Real quick, just to amend that, if they beat the Rams by 30 points, they're also a Super Bowl contender. Like They don't need to fall yes. behind and come back. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. I, I, I wanted to, true. real quick, I wanted to go back to Todd Gurley. Um Todd Gurley, just for context, last year went under four yards a carry. Uh, let me make sure I have the count right here. One, two, three times. He's done that four times already this year. He has not been as effective on the ground. Last year, he got targeted more than five times, six times in a, in in all season. He's gotten targeted more than five times once this year in the passing game. And his carries are way down, too. Um, he's gone over 15 carries just once. Uh, he did that a, a, a bunch of times last year. I think it was like 11 times last year. He went over 15 carries. Like his usage rate is just way down and his effectiveness is way down. Like he's a glorified goal line back at this point. Like you said, he's their primary touchdown scorer. He just hasn't been as effective, uh, between the twenties really. And that element of their offense being taken away. I think makes them much easier to defend. And it's shown in Jared Goff's productivity. I I I had the numbers. I don't I don't have them in front of me. I should have gone and gotten them, but his numbers over the last 10 games are are really abysmal. It's like 21 touchdowns to 21 interceptions uh over a 16 game season and his averages in the year and a half before that were like 33 touchdowns and eight interceptions. Like he has fallen off just dramatically. And I think that has a lot to do with Todd Gurley's declining effectiveness. And if he is not a threat, the Rams become much easier to defend, especially for a 49ers front seven that will get to pin their ears back and get after Jared Goff. So Jared Goff in his last 10 games, I found the stats. Thank you. Uh, 13 TDs, 13 interceptions. Uh, 79.3 passer rating, 17 sacks taken, 6.94 yards per attempt. That's bad. Um, 10 fumbles. Ouch. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, if, if Jared Goff is merely average and the 49ers can limit whoever is, is running the ball for the Rams, then they definitely have a shot. Um, I, I wrote something that's uh, going to p- appear on the 49ers website in um, conjunction with Kiana Martin, their team reporter. And and she asked me for a bold prediction. And my bold prediction for Sunday was that fewer than 30, 30 points would be scored between the two teams. So I do think it's going to be something like a 17 to 10 game or, a, you know, a 14, 13 game. Um, because I think with the Niners injuries offensively, it's going to be hard for them to move the ball. And I think the 49ers defense is playing so lights out right now. And it's such a bad matchup for the Rams that the 49ers are, are going to be in the game. Um, at least that that's my read on it right now. And if it is, if it is that kind of game, then it could be, could be a play here or there that ends up winning it. Um, which would be interesting because coming into the year, I think, you know, we thought the Niners defense would be a lot better obviously, but we didn't think it would be good enough to where, okay, 
Kyle Shanahan's offense is struggling to score points, but the defense is so good that it can go to the Rams and potentially have them in position to still win a game. Like, it's just crazy that right. we're, we're even having that conversation based on how the last few seasons have gone. It's such a dramatic 180 from, like, when did they play? December? So 10 months ago? Yeah. Like it's it's pretty incredible. I want to let you know that I'm going to my bookie right now where I do all my betting. <laughs> And I'm taking the under 50 and a half for the game. And I'm it's doing 50? 50 and a half is the over under. Ooh. Yeah. So I, would, I would bang that under. I'm hammering the under. And if they lose, you owe me some money. <laughs> okay, fine. Um, what else do we want to talk about? They need big games again from Emmanuel Mosley. I think we mentioned it earlier this week. Emmanuel Mosley played well. Kwan Williams has been playing well for, for a little while now. Um, I thought when Jimmy Ward came back, they would do what they did with Ward in the preseason, which is play free safety and base and then move him to nickel um, in in sub packages. Uh, they have not done that. When Ward came back, he, he played exclusively o- over the top at free safety. So that's going to continue, obviously. Kwan Williams against Cooper Cup is a very interesting matchup. Cooper Cup is just a really, really good slot receiver for the Rams right now. He might be probably like their receiver. best overall receiver. I think you I, say? I think Cooper Cup is like a top five receiver in the league. He's so good. Wow. He that's is, a, he is that's spicy. He gets open. He's super physical after the catch. He can line him up inside. He can line him up in the slot. He's he's fantastic, dude. He's good. Top five is wow. That's saying something. I'm gonna marinate on that for a second. Okay. Uh, Jimmy go, go Ward. Yes. What's that? Uh, actually, you know what? Don't look at the stats. Maybe watch the games, nerd. <laughs> um yeah cooper cup's good that's going to be a tough matchup for them uh particularly with how quickly they would hope to get rid of the ball with that 49ers defense being able to pressure jared goff um jimmy ward played well at free safety um i don't know if i if i have any other point to make on jimmy ward other than you know making those those few tackles that he did two in particular nick chubb had a long run monday Jimmy Ward did well to to angle him out of bounds and make that stop. And then he had another another key tackle on an outside run, which came a couple plays before Antonio Callaway bobbled that third down pass at the goal line, which should have been a touchdown, but went to Kwan Williams anyway uh, for that for the interception. So, you know, Jimmy Ward making those two tackles, I don't know that Tervarius Moore makes those two plays. And and I think that's a good example of what the 49ers like about Ward is how good of a tackler he is. And he wasn't tested in coverage. And I don't know. I I mean, I, I can assume that Jimmy Ward was probably where he was supposed to be in coverage because if he wasn't, you know, it's pretty glaring when a free safety is out of, out of position in coverage because it usually leads to big explosive plays and the Browns obviously didn't have many of those. So right. Curious to see how Jimmy Ward evolves because like I, I think I've said this before, like I'm fine with being the mayor of Jimmy Ward Island. Like I do think Jimmy Ward's a good player. He just needs to stay healthy. And, and so, yeah, I'm with you. Yeah. Let's, let's shut, let's like set up a little camping site on Jimmy Ward Island. And uh, maybe as this thing goes, we start developing it a little bit. Like we can build like a, like a vacation home or like a houseboat to put on a pier. Is it? Is it boating distance from Maui? That's all I need to know. <laughs> yeah, maybe I'll have to I'll have to find out where exactly what the coordinates of Jimmy Ward Island are. But yeah, 
in theory. I'm wearing my Lahaina Luna t-shirt right now, which is the oldest high school on Maui. Very cool. So. Um, yeah. I was wearing a, I think it was yesterday, I wore my Hawaiian style shirt, which is a restaurant on the Big Island, which has uh, the best um, plate lunch that, that I've ever had, Hawaiian plate lunch. If you're familiar with Hawaiian style, go there. It's fantastic. Okay. Um, noted. Hawaii. <laughs> we have uh, we, we have anything uh-huh. else on this game that we want to hit before uh, before we bounce out of here? Do you ever hit me with a prediction? I mean, given the injury luck the 49ers have had for a long time now, the fact that n- that none of these key injuries have been season ending, knock on wood, <laughs> is is uh, is good. So, you know, maybe this team will be fully healthy, clicking on all cylinders, still have a pretty good record. Uh, by the time they get all these guys back. And and we mentioned a while ago, like if the 49ers go seven and three over their first 10, which I still think is, is reasonable. Um, if they're hit, yeah. if they had seven and three before their final six game stretch, all they have to do is go three and three over those final six games to get to 10 wins, which probably gets you in the playoffs. That's, yeah. that's where you want to be. So we'll see if they can yeah. handle all these injuries on offense and without Kyle use and their two tackles for a while, um and and win some of these games and it'll be fun and and even if the 49ers lose on on sunday they have a get right game against washington the next week in washington who are just fired their coach they're on five so there's a really good chance the 49ers are five and one and five and one is is still far better than than just about everybody expected the 49ers to be through their first six games. Right. So if they lose Sunday, don't if, jump off a cliff. Um, don't, I mean, right. I don't, I don't mean that literally. Well, I do mean that literally, but I, the, anyway, don't overreact to a 49ers divisional, loss on Sunday, I guess should be the point because. Divisional road game without either starting tackle and a vital piece of the offense. in, yeah. in Just enjoy the fact that 49ers are four and one because it's still a really good record and, and they'll still be tied atop the NFC West, no matter what happens on Sunday. So are you predicting they What's lose? That? Are you predicting they lose then? Uh, yeah, I have a I have a piece coming out uh, on Saturday oh, that I do a betting a betting thing, and I I took the Rams um, because I do think three is is not many points. Um, I think yeah. the Rams should probably be favored by like five. And I took them because I I just think on a short week playing against a rested team that's a little bit healthier, um, as good as the 49ers defense has been, I just I still believe in the Rams just as an overall I like as a sure. as a contender like you don't lose three games in a row if if you're a real life contender. Right. And I do think the Rams are still that. Uh, maybe the Rams are just having a disastrous season and. And maybe that manifests itself on Sunday, but it's hard for me to predict that right now. I think they're you're just a hater, right? Right. I'm not a hater. I'm predicting the 49ers win 84 to wow. nothing. <laughs> no, I think I think the Rams win too. I think I think it's a it's kind of an ugly game, like 24 to 13 yeah. type of game. I'm, but it won't mean the yeah, skies. I it won't mean the skies falling for sure, um, unless unless there are more injuries, but. Uh, yeah, I'm going. My bold prediction is that it's it's going to be a very very low scoring game, like 14, 13, right or 17, 10, or something like that. All right, so let, we'll wrap it up. Um, 
Hope, hopefully we didn't end on a uh, too much of a downer for the, for the listeners. <laughs> but uh, we will talk to you guys after this Rams game and maybe talk about how wrong we were uh, about the offense and maybe they score 50 points like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers did the last time the Rams played at the Coliseum or maybe the Niners will um, not be able to run the ball particularly effectively. Anyway, we'll talk to you guys next week. <laughs> we'll recount the Rams game, look at, look ahead to Washington, and uh, maybe Kyle will do some more Nick Bosa impressions. For you. Can't wait. Bye, guys. Headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com